Hello, this is NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Glenn Weldon. Author Daniel Silva writes novels starring Gabriel Alon, a globe-hopping art restorer and former Israeli secret agent. Silva released the first book in the series back in 2000, and since 2002, he's never missed a deadline, publishing one a year like clockwork. In The Collector, the 23rd in the Gabriel Alon series, his fictional hero investigates a real-life mystery of the art world, which leads him to Russia and the all-too-real threat of global extinction. Silva talked to Scott Simon on Weekend Edition Saturday. This message comes from NPR sponsor BritBox. Discover powerful new series like Three Little Birds and BAFTA-winning drama Time, starring Bella Ramsey, Tamara Lawrence, and Jodie Whittaker. Stream the best of British TV only on BritBox. Start a free trial at BritBox.com. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands, but because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit com slash NPR and save an additional $200. Vermeer's The Concert, painted in 1664, shows a young woman at a harpsichord, a man playing a lute, and a woman singing. It may be the most valuable stolen object in the world. It was cut from its frame in the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in 1990 and stolen, along with 12 other works. There have been boasts about the whereabouts of the painting and leads over the years, and they've led nowhere. But when a South African shipping tycoon murdered in Amalfi turns out to have a secret vault holding an empty frame that matches the dimensions of the Purloin masterpiece, who are you going to call? The Italian art police call Gabriel Alon, noted art conservator, artist, former Israeli intelligence official, and hero of more than a score of best-selling novels by Daniel Silva. The Collector is his latest, and Daniel Silva joins us from New York. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. What a wonderful introduction. I wish I'd thought of that. (laughs) Well, that's why we're here. So Gabriel is living the good life. He's coiffing Sancerre. He's hopscotching with his love between Venice, Paris, and other glamorous locations. Why would he let himself be enlisted in this case? Because like the person who created him, he gets annoyed about art theft, especially something like the concert. I mean, it is one of 34 works by Johannes Vermeer. It is an extraordinary crime against art. I'm still angry about it, and so is Gabriel. And he reluctantly takes the case, and as is often the case, it leads to an unexpected place. Some of your characters at one point review a list of possibles, people, groups, or interests who may have wanted to take the Vermeer or wound up with it. How many of that is valid, according to your research? Because, as I don't have to tell you, some investigators think the works just might still be somewhere near Boston. The FBI is fairly certain about the identity of the two men who dressed as Boston police officers in genuine Boston PD uniforms, by the way, and carried off the initial theft. The FBI is quite certain that they're both dead. The FBI believes that the paintings migrated to Connecticut, then headed down to the Philadelphia area. And in about 2007, they were put on the illicit market in the Philadelphia area. Even loving your book, I still don't understand. Why would somebody traffic in stolen art when they can't show it to friends or the world? They can't lend it to, you know, to galleries or museums for tax write-offs and to get their names on plaques. And they could be jailed. That is a debate within the art world. There is no doubt in my mind that there is a illicit black market for stolen art 
antiquities and objets d'art that are of, of, of great value. But when it comes to masterpieces like this, professional criminals are quite good at stealing the paintings, but they're lousy about trying to, to monetize their investment. The paintings end up sort of being used as underworld cash, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, criminal traveler's checks, collateral and down payments in other criminal transactions. And that's something else that I explore in the novel, which makes it even more annoying. They took these paintings, and now they're just being swapped around, perhaps, and used in other ways. Yeah. Tell us about your uh, new character you introduced here, Ingrid Johansson. Readers of my series know that I turn crooks and assassins and, and other people who are not necessarily the finest examples of our society. It sort of turned them into protagonists. You know, Gabriel is a restorer, and he restores not only paintings, but people as well. Um, Ingrid is a brilliant computer hacker. She has a little bit of touch of kleptomania, and she is an extraordinarily good con artist and thief. She accepts a $10 million payday to steal the Vermeer from a Palazzo and Amalfi, not realizing that she's in way over her head and there's a much broader conspiracy, and ends up working with Gabriel to find the painting that she stole. You have written 23 novels with Gabriel Elon. How much space does he take up in your mind? (laughs) As I explain to my wife all the time when I'm preoccupied or not listening to what she's trying to say to me, I spend more time in his world than I do in this world. You know, the cover of the book is sort of the view from his terrace of his apartment on the Grand Canal in Venice. He seems very, very real to me, as do all of the sub-characters in in the series. I think of them as though they're real people. I imagine that they are out there living their lives in this parallel universe that I've created. And I like to just drop into it every now and again with a legal pad in my hand and a pencil and just sort of listen in. Without revealing too much, the uh, story involves a trail that leads to Russia and great possible risk to the world. Does that risk reflect your own concerns about what's happening now? The book is set last autumn. And if you recall, there was that period where the United States became alarmed by what it was hearing and seeing uh, the Russians doing there, that they were speaking very casually about using nuclear weapons, that they seemed to be hunting around for a pretext. There was evidence that they might be preparing some sort of false flag, dirty bomb attack using radioactive material. And we were so alarmed, uh, in fact, that President Biden took the extraordinary step of publicly warning Vladimir Putin, do not use nuclear weapons in Ukraine. It will have catastrophic results for you and your country. Um, I think that the threat of a nuclear attack of some sort by the Russians has probably receded. But I think what's more likely is some sort of nuclear-ish incident. You know, the Russians have this doctrine that they refer to as escalate in order to de-escalate, that they might ramp up and create some sort of crisis that would allow them to then de-escalate as a means of ending this war in a way that preserves some dignity for Putin and the Russian military. Wow. Daniel Zilva's latest novel, The Collector. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. What a treat. I so enjoyed it.
This message comes from NPR sponsor BetterHelp. When you're carrying around a lot of stress, therapy is a safe space to get it off your chest. If you're considering therapy, give BetterHelp a try at betterhelp.com NPR to get 10% off your first month. Summer is for going to the movie theater because it's too hot to stay home. It's for driving with the windows down, listening to your favorite music. It's for stretching out while you're on vacation to gobble up a TV show. For a guide to some of the TV, movies, and music we are most excited about this summer, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. Pro-Palestinian protests have popped up on college campuses across the country. But from the eyes of students, what are we missing? From the outside, these protests are painted as really violent when that couldn't be further from the truth. I'm Brittany Luce, host of NPR's It's Been a Minute, and I'm inviting you to hear from student journalists who see what the rest of us cannot. On It's Been a Minute from NPR.